Good morning. Uh, somebody walked up to me this morning and said, there's no bangles in the Bible. But every time they talk about a ram, it's getting slaughtered. Um, I actually, okay. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Judges chapter 13. This morning, we're going to be looking at some lessons from the life of Samson. And um, I want to, as you're opening up your Bibles, I also want to just remind you that in our church app, if you open up our app and you scroll up just a little bit, there is this tile that says sermon questions and answers. Uh, somebody came to me a week or two ago and they said, Rod, you put so much in every sermon, I can't keep track of it all. And sometimes I have questions. And uh, they said, you should just put your... Uh, email address or your cell phone number on every slide so we can text in questions. But I just thought, you know, actually you could just do it with the app. So um, just uh, if you want to, like you could open that up. You have your Bible on one page. You could have that in another tile. You could type some stuff in there. And if uh, you ask a bunch of really good questions, maybe I'll answer them on Sunday. Or we could talk personally or I'll email you or something. So feel free to do that. I wanted to just remind you that that is available you know, we are today going to be talking about, we're going to start talking about one of my favorite stories, although I guess I say that about every passage in Scripture, but we're going to be looking at the life of Samson, and Samson is a most amazing individual who completely wasted every chance for greatness that God gave him. Uh, it's, Samson is... is a lesson of a squandered life. And uh, I think it's so important for us to consider this. I, I was just thinking about Samson and thinking about the difference between, in a sense, some people in the Old Testament that just did incredibly wonderful things. And even people in the New Testament, people that God used greatly that were inspiring, that you just read about their life and you go, oh, man, I wish I could do that and be that person. And I was thinking about the ability that Samson had, all the preparation, everything that God did that could have allowed him to be the greatest story in the Old Testament. And yet he ends up being a person whose life is a lesson of what not to do. And so what we're going to look at this morning, um, this morning we're going to look at chapter 13, and we're just going to kind of focus in on all the great things that God did, all the gifts that God gave Samson, all of the potential that he had. And then next week and maybe two more weeks, but I'm going to try to squeeze it into one week, we're going to look at uh, what happened actually. How did Samson live out his life? What did he live up to? You know, uh, Samson was God's Old Testament superhero, and we'll uh, definitely consider this for, for next week. Uh, there are going to be some things, like in, in Greek mythology, you, you think about Ulysses, and you think about Achilles, and all these, you know, people in history that did Hercules, that did these amazing things. Samson was a real-life person like that, and, and we'll see that worked out. Um, and Samson was called at an incredible time. And he had a, an amazing purpose, and we'll think about that today. He was given every possible advantage and demonstration of God's grace, um, and it was completely wasted. He completely wasted everything God gave him. But here's the story of Samson's life is God 
still accomplished his purpose. Samson's the one who missed out, but not God. Um, Samson is a living warning of what to avoid. Now, I want to tell you just something about stories in the Old Testament. As you read through stories, there's, sometimes we'll read through passages, and it's instructive. You know, like you can think about Deuteronomy 6 and what it, talk, it says about um, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's giving instructions on how to live, that we talk about God and how we pass on faith to the next generation. So sometimes in the Old and New Testament, you'll read passages that are like didactic or they're teaching or they're giving instruction. And then there's other times that just as we read through the Old Testament, it's actually just a story where God just tells a story. And sometimes there's little comments that are added here and there. Uh, other times there's not even comments. It's just a story. And what I want us to all know is that anytime God tells a story, that is actually a sermon. God is giving a sermon through the stories that he tells, and we are supposed to take the context of the things that we've read in Scripture, and we're supposed to read a story. We're supposed to think about what did God put in this story? What did God leave out of this story? And what is it that God is trying to tell me through this story? What is it that I'm supposed to learn? How am I supposed to live in light of that? And so we're going to do that as we look through chapter 13, and then also the, uh, when we look through uh, chapter 14 through 16, we're going to be thinking about the fact that this actually is God's sermon. And in one sense, it would not be a bad thing for me to just stand here and read the story and say nothing about it. You know, Paul tells Timothy, when you gather together, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. It would be valuable if I just got here and read the story and then we just all went home. Um, but then he also goes on, he says, so don't neglect the public reading of Scripture and exhortation and teaching. And so what we're supposed to do is read the Bible and then we're supposed to exhort people, encourage people to obey it, and to explain it. And so I'm going to do a little of that today, um, but we're going to also just read. You know, one of the things that I, I want to just bring to your mind as you think about Samson, and I would just encourage you that between now and next week, read the rest of the story of Samson. Read chapter 14, 15, and 16, and just pray that God would use that. And I think if you read that, next Sunday will be really more powerful in your life if you've read that passage and you've thought about it personally. Um, but one of the things I want to just call to your mind is I want you to think about as you read this story and as we think about Samson, and we're not going to do all of that today, but think about other stories in the Bible of people that were amazing and inspiring. And we'll emphasize this next week, but uh, one of the things I think about is King David and Goliath. You know, there are these amazing stories in the Old Testament of people who just do superhuman things. And, and David did superhuman things. And, but one of the things that you see in David's life is what drives and motivates him. And we've just gone through a series on our church mission statement, which is to glorify God, make disciples, unconditionally accept people, and encourage a transforming life in Christ. You could say that Samson is an example of a person, or of a church, or of a family that doesn't live out that mission statement. Like, this is what happens if we ignore the things that we've been learning. 
Uh, but as you think about this, think about King David and what he did in, in, with Goliath and what drives and motivates David. It's God's glory. And when you think about how the life that David lived impacted other people, their loyalty for him, the way they were inspired by him. And then you look at Samson, and one of the things that you'll see and you think about as you read the rest of the story of Samson, nobody was inspired, nobody was encouraged, nobody saw God's glory through Samson. Um, but God still glorifies himself. And so this is a, a wonderful story, and, and I want to just say this before we get going, is Hebrews chapter 11 mentions Samson. And one of the things that I love about Hebrews chapter 11 is there are names that show up in Hebrews 11 that no one would ever expect to be there. And I'm just telling you, you read the life of Samson carefully, you do not expect him to be in Hebrews 11. Um, but that is actually just a testimony of God's grace and the incredible importance of faith, trusting God, relying on God, and how faith in God actually is a key element in Samson's life, as marred as that is and as hard as it is to see in that passage. Um, let's just read Hebrews 11, and there's this long list of heroes of the faith, and in Hebrews 11:31, there's this, just in each verse, it just says, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, and then we hit this one, and it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And then in this summary of Old Testament things, and it's surprising that it actually addresses the book of Judges. Like this, this next list is, comes out of the book of Judges. And it just says, And what shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight you know Samson as broken as he was, at moments expressed faith, self-centered, selfish, and yet God worked powerfully. And so let's, let's jump into this, and um, let's, uh, let's just start reading. Um, and we're going to look at the, this chapter 13. So um, chapter 13, let's read. And the first thing that we're going to see here is that uh, all gifts and all talents and all potential come from God. That's something for all of us to remember. Everything you know how to do, everything you are able to do, everything is a gift from God. And um, Samson, everything about his life is gifted. The fact that he is born as a Jewish child is an incredible blessing. You can think about yourself. Were you born in a Christian family? Did you have Christian parents? If so, that is an incredible blessing. And so let's just look at this and Judges chapter 13, verse 1, and, and everything in Judges is messed up, so this is a blessing, but think, think about how, it's, how it opens. And the people of Israel 
a blessing to be a child of Israel. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Um, how does, how's that a blessing, <laughs> to be born into a, an evil nation? Um, Israel was a blessed, chosen nation of God. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that God disciplines the ones whom he loves. Um, this is not working. You can go to the next slide. Okay, there we go. God disciplines people whom he loves. One of the things about the nation of Israel, as you think about it, um, Israel constantly struggled. Now, Israel uh, came from Abraham, and so Israel is of the seed of Abraham. And you look at all these things that happen throughout the nation of Israel. They're constantly wandering and struggling. God sends them to Egypt where he multiplies them and makes them a great nation. And then he sends them out into the wilderness. He takes them out of Egypt. And it's amazing to just think through all the failures that happen there. And then they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And everybody's evil. They send 12 spies into the land. And only two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb, and say, yes, let's obey God. Everybody else says, no, don't do it. And so then they end up wandering in the wilderness. And at the very end, Joshua ends up leading Israel into the land of Canaan. And they conquer it. And Joshua is a faithful man. And here's one of the things that it says at the end of Joshua's life. It says that Israel honored God as long as Joshua was alive. What an incredible statement about the influence that a faithful person can have. But it goes beyond that, and it says, and also, as long as all the elders who served with Joshua. Joshua was a person who stood alone. It was him and Caleb, only the two of them, when everybody else did the wrong thing. And God ends up blessing the nation through Joshua and through the faithful leaders that surrounded him. And then, after they all die, Judges happens. And Judges is a terrible story of the sinfulness of Israel. Um, Israel's in sin. God blesses them. They forget God. They live a life of sin. God punishes them. He raises up these nations to inflict them, which is what is said is going to happen right here. Uh, that it, it says that Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. God allows these pagan nations to punish Israel for their sinfulness. And then God decides to save them, and he raises up somebody. Samson's one of those people to deliver them and to free them from their enemies. And then Israel is blessed for a time, and then they forget about all about God, and Judges is just one cycle after another of people who disregard God's grace and kindness and receive discipline in their life. So that's the whole story of Judges, and this is one of those things that happens in this cycle. You know, you think about God's discipline. God disciplines the people that he loves. I wonder how often do people struggle and how often do the difficulties in life just pour into people's life and it's just God's hand of discipline for their disobedience. And they don't recognize that for what it is. And I think, man, <laughs> I want to be a church. I want to be a, 
a man in my family. Uh, I want to be an influence on other believers that encourages them to honor and obey God and not be people who just live these half-hearted, compromising lives and receive God's discipline. So here's the second thing that we're going to see. I mean, uh, God's, uh, Samson's going to be born into the nation of Israel, and, and the nation of Israel, in spite of their sinfulness, is a nation that God loves and cares for. And Samson, he's actually the result of God's intention to bless Israel. Samson's, God's intention, and God is preparing him to do an amazing thing for the nation of Israel. It's God's intention of blessing. Now let's read verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. One of the things that's really cool as you think about the Bible is all the people who are barren and, then, and that's like an exclamation point of God's unique intervention. Um, these women, they are grieved. They are brokenhearted. The, the dads are brokenhearted. They can't have kids, and they want kids. And that sense of incredible loss takes them to prayer, and they're just feeling this challenge and this difficulty, and then God reaches in, and it's a way to ex- put an exclamation point on someone amazing, something amazing that he's going to do. And he says, you've been barren, but you're going to have a kid. You know, one of the things that is kind of cool is to see that God reaches out to the wife of Manoah. You know, sometimes when people are barren, like Abraham, he didn't have any kids. God speaks to Abraham about his kids. But in this case, God just says, no, I'm going to go talk to the wife. I'm going to tell her that she's going to have a baby. God goes to her first. And then you think about the fact all these people like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, the wife of of, uh, Manoah, Hannah or, or Anna, Samson or Samuel's mom, or um, Elizabeth, the mom of John the Baptist. Like, think of all these people who came from barren women. So this is an amazing thing. This is a highlight that God is going to bless them. And he's going to tell them that you're going to have a son who's gonna, who's gonna, who has a great purpose. We'll look at that. And here's where we see um, Samson is going to be a Nazarite. And that's kind of a unique thing. Let's look at verse 4. Therefore, be careful to drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, if you're um, an Israelite, Uh, You've read Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 21 that talks about a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is a person who makes a special vow and just says, I am going to dedicate my life to being holy for the Lord, reserved, set apart only for God. And and usually that's for a period of time. Uh, Samson, God says, no, this is going to be a holy, righteous child for his whole life. And he tells his mom that she has to obey the provisions of being a Nazarite because what she does is going to influence this child she has. When we talked about abortion, we talked about when life begins, like this is one of those things. And so um, when you think about, uh, when you look at Numbers chapter 6, 
The purpose of a Nazarite is to be holy and separate from God. They cannot drink grapes, have anything to do with grapes. They can't have, so they can't eat grapes. They can't drink anything from grapes. They can't even eat grape seeds. Um, They can have no raisins, like nothing that comes from grapes. They don't cut their hair. And there's a lot of um, emphasis given on staying away from dead bodies. Um, You don't touch anything dead. And in fact, it even talks about, well, what happens if a Nazarite's walking next to his friend and his friend suddenly has a heart attack and dies and falls into him? Like, what do you do in that situation? Not touching the dead, having nothing to do with dead is a really important thing for the Nazarites. So it says in verse 6, Then the woman came and told her husband that a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God, very awesome. And I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a child, so drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. One of the things that you're going to find out is this whole thing, like when you're reading a story and this whole thing, this, this issue of Nazarite, why does the person, the, the writer of Judges, why does he describe the conversation to the mom? And then he describes a conversation from the mom to the dad. And then the angel's going to come back and tell that, why is that repeated three times? It's kind of important. Like those are the kinds of things we're supposed to notice when a story's being told. Why is it saying I didn't ask him his name? Well, there's going to be something important about the name here. And so here's one of the things that we're going to find out in the story. The third thing, which is um, pretty important, is that not only is Samson born into God's chosen nation, certainly during a sinful time, not only is Samson's birth unique, not only is Samson's, God's intention for Samson is to bless the nation, but Samson is born to parents who love God and have a commitment to honor God. And that's one of those things that's going to be bewildering as you look at Samson's life. You're going to say, how does he have a mom and dad that love God the way they do, and he ends up the way he ends up? How does that happen? It's one of the things we're going to think about. But look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come again to us, So he has this desire, the dad has a desire to hear from this man that spoke to his wife. Why? Look at the second half. Um, He prays, send him to come to us again and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. He has this intense desire. This is a special child, and you've given my wife instructions, but send this man back because I want to know Teach me, tell me, I want to do what God says. I want to raise him the way God's telling me to raise him. And verse 9, and God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman, and she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And here's where we're going to see that Samson's given a significant purpose in God's um, plan. Look at verse 
Um, look, at, look at verse 12. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the manner of this child's life and what is his mission? You know, this is something that I want to just encourage you. God had a special plan for Samson, and I want you to know something. God has a special plan for you. God has a mission for your life. And when you think about the Apostle Paul, one of the things that he says is he's thinking about his life and all the things that he did. One of the things that he says is he says, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward, and I'm reaching forward so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Paul's life is, God, you saved me for a purpose, and my existence is to accomplish what you have called me to accomplish. That's what Paul said. So this guy this week, this friend of mine, he sends me this text, and he says, um, Roger, do you think that you're called into ministry? Do you think God's called you into ministry? And what exactly is a calling? How do you know if you're called? And then he lists the place he works, and he says, would it be right to say that God called me to work there? Like, is God's calling into ministry different than God's calling to any other station in life? And this is what I want you to know. God puts you in your family. He puts you in your job. And he has a calling and a purpose for you. And did you know, I think personally, that the church and Christian families and all over the place, there are people who completely miss their calling. They're like Samson, and they live their life thinking to themselves, what do I want? What do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? And they don't get up every day and say, God, you've called me to glorify you. You've called me for a purpose. What should I do today? How should I live my life? God, you've given me two or three brothers and sisters. What's your purpose for me in their life? God, how are you calling me to influence my siblings? God, you put me in a family, and I have a mom and a dad. What's your purpose for putting me in this family? What's the influence I'm supposed to have on my mom and on my dad? And did you know every Christian, or, or where I work, did you know every Christian has a purpose and should daily think about, God, what have you called me to do? What have you called me to accomplish? And we miss out on all the good things that God has planned for us when we think that a special calling is for a missionary or a pastor or someone else. And did you know that part of our discipleship in this church is to help people understand that God has a purpose for them and to see that purpose and to embrace that purpose? Part of your job as a parent is to raise your kids from the time that they're small to know it doesn't matter if you're in, mission, in ministry, it doesn't matter if you're a missionary, your life is a calling and a purpose. And we train and teach everyone around us to live and think that way. And if we don't, uh, people end up like Samson. Uh, look at verse 13. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful that she may not eat anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing that all I can... And, and that all that I have commanded her, let her observe. And then this is, um, I think, the, the last and incredibly amazing section of this passage. 
And that is, that is this, that Jesus is personally involved in caring for Samson. You know, the one who delivers this message, I'm just going to tell you, I think that that was an Old Testament a presentation of Jesus, that Jesus himself shows up in the Old Testament and has a conversation with Manoah's wife and with Manoah, and Jesus himself announces the birth of Samson. Now, when you take a step back and you think about that, and we're going to read this, and you can tell me if you agree with me or not. But when you take, and, and I just also want you to know, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I am not coming up with the, this on my own. Uh, there are many theologians that study scripture and say, no, Jesus was actively involved in the Old Testament. So we're going to read this passage. This is one of those. But when you think about this, God has a purpose for the nation of Israel, and Jesus himself shows up personally to care for his people. And this is one of the things I think is great, is Jesus shows up in a dark time in Israel's history, when, when they're sinful, when they're broken, when they, they're just constantly doing the things that they shouldn't do, Jesus shows up. And the same Jesus that loves you and that died for you, and, and Romans tells us that Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. That same Jesus was lovingly involved in caring for his sinful people in the Old Testament. So let's read this. You tell me is the angel of the Lord, Jesus. Now, um, I, I want to just throw something out there. Um, often when we read in Scripture, God actually communicates things to people, and he tells people things that are not recorded in Scripture. For example, if you just look at Genesis, you have um, Adam and Eve, and then they have kids, and you know the whole thing with Cain and Abel, where Cain kills Abel. And, and one of the things that's happening there is they're making sacrifices, but one of the things you'll notice is when you read this story, where was the instruction on making sacrifices? Like, it's not there. There are things that God told Adam and Eve and that God told Cain and Abel that were not recorded. The oldest book in the Old Testament, the book of Job, Job says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I'm going to see him with my own eyes. And Job knows he's going to be resurrected physically and that he's going to look at Jesus, his Redeemer, with his own eyes. From my flesh, I will see my Redeemer. And, and you read through the Old Testament and you go, wait a second, where did it talk about the resurrection, I mean, certainly we know about a bodily resurrection from the New Testament, but how is it that Job, writing the oldest book in the Old Testament, is communicating these things that we don't learn from the New Testament? Or when you, if you want to share the gospel with somebody, you can go to Isaiah 53, right? And you can just read Isaiah 53. This is the Old Testament, and it talks about Jesus dying for our sins, our iniquities being laid on him. And you go, well, wait a second. Like, where did that, that all come from? And what we realize is that the gospel and that all those things are communicated. And this thing about Jesus being the angel of the Lord, where's the specific instruction in that? But when you read this next section of verses, Manoah knows about the angel of the Lord and that it's Jesus. Let's, let's read this. Verse 15 Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, 
I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. And then here's this statement that we're supposed to pay attention to. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. See, sometimes it's an angel of the Lord. Sometimes it's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus. Um, when you think about um, Jesus, the word angel is messenger, right? That's what the word means. It means messenger. And so an angel is a messenger. What do we call Jesus in John 1? 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is God's communication to us. So that kind of fits with this. Let's read on. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? See, there's name coming up again. So that when your words come true, we, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So he's saying that his name's wonderful. Why are you asking my name? Are there any Old Testament verses that when you think about Jesus and wonderful that come to mind? Hmm. I don't know. Let's, let's read on. So Manoah took the young goat with a grain offering, and he offered it on a rock to the Lord, to the one who works, oh, wonders, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. So Manoah's going to offer this person food, and they're going to say, no, I don't eat, but you can sacrifice. And then he says his name's wonderful, and then he's going to make a sacrifice to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So before he doesn't know he's the angel of the Lord, but now he realizes, oh my goodness, that was the angel of the Lord. And notice how they fall on their face. Uh, look what he's going to say next. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. I don't know, what do you think? He realizes, oh, that was the angel of the Lord. We're going to die because we've seen God. It goes on, and his wife encourages him. Hey, we need our wives to encourage us sometimes, right? His wife says to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands or shown us these things or announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manadan between Zorah and Eschol. As this verse that I was wondering if it would come to your mind, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, all those words, wonderful, they're all the same Hebrew word in Isaiah, and both of these in the passage. It's the same, same root. Jesus himself is personally and actively involved in Samson's life, and we're going to see that God is going to strengthen him. God is going to use him in a powerful way. You know, God cares for Samson. God cares for Israel. And I want you to know that God cares for you. And in the same way that God has an eternal, spiritual, powerful purpose for Samson, God has an eternal, powerful purpose for you in your life. And I think that's, as I think about what do we want to walk away with, we want to know that God loves us, God cares about us, and God has a purpose for our life. And I just want to challenge everyone. Is that the way you think about life? And do you understand that glorifying God is why God puts you on this earth? That is your purpose everywhere you are? You know, when you think about people in the Old Testament, it is so helpful and it is so encouraging when we are surrounded by faithful people that motivate us and inspire us and encourage us. That, that is so powerful. Um, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. And then he says, but don't, don't, don't stop going to church because church is where we're supposed to be around good company. And so we need to be good company for each other. We need to be people grabbing a hold of the purpose that God has placed in front of us. But whether or not that is true in somebody else's church, we know it's true here, but whether or not that would be true in somebody else's church, they, you, they still have that purpose. Whether or not that's true in your family, you still have that purpose. Are you grabbing a hold of and living your life in light of God's purpose for you? And are you encouraged that in the same way, in a dark time in Israel's history, that Jesus was personally there for his people? Jesus is personally there for you. I want to close by just reading a verse, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. This is how Hebrews talks about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands our struggle. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus is there. He loves us. He cares for us. And we are actually God's representation, and we're supposed to be there to love and encourage and help the people around us. Let me pray for us. God, I just want to thank you for this incredible story. And as we think about what we know is coming, that Samson wasted this amazing foundation that you gave him. Samson, on this earth, wasted the benefits of your special love and care. God, we know that every one of us has just as great a purpose as Samson had. Lord, every one of us has your love and care the way Samson did. God, I pray that 
we would not waste that, that we would not miss opportunities. And Lord, that we would know that it is never too late to stand up and be the people that you want us to be. God, I thank you for your grace and kindness and just ask that you would bless us with a faith that's not only just this tiny thing that you reach in and and work through, but Lord, that we would have a faith that would inspire and motivate us to live and honor you every day. In your name, amen.